From Central Source and the Fifth Element Podcast Network, this is In Search of Source. My name is Ryan Gore, and I'm here with Mickey Hellerbach. What's going on? Mickey Hellerbach, writer for Central Sauce, as well as uh, I've written for Euphoria Magazine, Notion Magazine, and Complex, and hyped to do this episode. I'm Brandon Hill. What's up, guys? Brandon Hill, managing editor at Central Sauce. Um, can't wait for you guys to see what we got coming. Great. So let's jump right in. So <clears throat> what you're about to hear is a compilation of interviews that the three of us did with members of the Source Fest line. If you have somehow missed all of our talk about SourceFest, firstly, go to our Twitter, go to Instagram, Central Source. But SourceFest is a virtual music festival created by us at Central Source. It is taking place April 10th at 8 p.m. GMT, 3 p.m. EST, and 12 noon PST, and is a dedication to breaking out of the streaming algorithms to shine a light on the truly independent artists making music that we at Central Sauce love. It's a passion project for us at Central Sauce. We've previously covered all of these artists in varying installments throughout our Discovery series, and we can't wait to bring you the music and artists that we've loved working with. To hype you up for the event, you're about to hear six short interviews that we think really highlight how unique and credible these MCs, producers, musicians, and singer-songwriters are that we're platforming on SauceFest. You're about to hear from Donnie Durag, Fika, Imp, Nora Tutane, Otis Mensa, and Story. We weren't able to connect with Abby the Nomad for this podcast, but you'll be able to check him out at the show. So we hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, what's up? We are here with the Prospect Side Don, a.k.a. Trey Young, a.k.a. Mr. Grab My Bubble, Then I Hit The Door, a.k.a. Parkside Avenue's number one hot spitter, my guy, the one and only Donnie Durag. What's up, man? What's up? Like, that's, damn, that's definitely at the top of my, like, introductions. <laughs> like, <laughs> number one, knock the whatever, you know what I'm saying, it was up there. Like, man, Central I'm Sauce good. got it. Mickey's been shopping it for days. Ah <laughs> uh, man, he knows more than anyone. I'm a seasoned Donnie Durag fan, so that took all all of uh, 30 seconds to write that one up for sure. My guy, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, but Ryan's gonna start us off with a little Sauce Fest related questions, and then we'll get into some music stuff. Oh. Yeah. So we decided to open the festival with your performance. That's I guess that's a spoiler. So like, if you said, I don't know. <laughs> Fire. All right. Yeah, but, um, oh, yeah. but that's because of the energy in your set, like it's actually like a jolt of energy, like an electric shock. So was that your intention with it? What was your main thing going into making that set? Um, well, that was, I, I've been uh, offered a couple of like opportunities kind of like that, um, like, th like this one. Um, but I was kind of afraid of how to really get my set across you know through like that virtual like you know in person it's just you know it's a lot easier you know what i'm saying there's like a call response a lot of stuff but virtually it's like i was trying to figure out like i took so long and i was glad that you know i was approached with you guys like after the right this was the right link up um but i was i really tried to focus on trying to translate that through the screen you know what i'm saying um definitely the songs that i chose i, I wanted to like 
a certain type of bounce. Like I wanted to definitely like give the viewer something to really like while they're watching me, like, damn, why am I moving? You know what I'm saying? Kinda kinda idea. Uh so yeah, I definitely was definitely trying to keep a keep in mind like, okay, this is not in person, so I have to add a little extra something to to make the viewer keep watching. Yeah. Yeah. I like the way yeah. you did the camera work. It was super simple, but even like the panning like makes a big difference in how it sort of draws your attention and focus. That was it was an accident, and I was like, "Yo, <laughs> do that, do that again, <laughs> do that again." Yeah, it was good. Yeah, what did you like? Forget that. to like tighten the thing, and it just sort of like drifted down. You, you, you know what it was? So it's been a while since I was performing, you know. So it, for remembering, like, oh, breath control, like, <laughs> so we yeah. actually had a, like that. We actually like cut it in, you know what I'm saying? And he did the little pan into like to like make that cut in seamless. Um, but yeah, that was something that I, I was like, wow, yeah. Because I, I always, you know, I always, that conscious thing to, you know, perform over the instrumentals, you know what I'm saying? So these are new songs that I was kind of performing for the first time. Like I did a little couple like mimic rehearsals, but nothing too serious. So like really doing it, I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> it's like riding the bike. It's like, you remember yeah. like, so I was really catching it on the second to third songs. You may see like I was picking up steam as it went on because it was like, oh, I'm, I'm getting, I'm remembering how this goes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah so do you think like having to think creatively and outside the box for this like virtual festival do you think that's going to have an impact for when you do go back into in-person shows do you think there's going to be a different experience if anything i'm going to be even more interactive you know yeah. like i was always a interactive performer but now i mean having it taken away from you for what like a year and some change like now like i never staged that before but i might try it <laughs> <laughs> you know like i'm like i'm like I, i'm definitely going to cherish it more you know that's 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 the only thing like i, I feel like performing like is my strong suit like that's probably the strongest of like of all the skills that i have as a as a, as an artist like performing is like probably like my number one so if any, i'm just gonna go even crazier you know like just really cherish that moment every time i'm on stage really like live in that moment and share that with with whoever's in the building with me I'm ready for the post-COVID party renaissance, man. I'm ready for it. Man, I'm like the studio that I work at, like that we're working out of, like it's right in the heart of like Williamsburg. So you have like House of Yes right there. You have Lot 45 right there. Like I feel like like I'm in the epicenter of Brooklyn right now, like where we're, where like where you need like if somebody's feeling artistic after the party, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's, Let's... <laughs> well, that's really got to be rough to to be in that space during the pandemic. These guys, I don't think either of them has been to Brooklyn, but I know <laughs> at least that like that block specifically, the House of Yes block is like the like the block where all the partying happens. And, and... it's about to be crazy. It's yeah. about to be, you know, so I'm looking it's it's, it's got it's definitely gonna have its pros and cons, but I'm definitely looking forward to it just because you just miss that human interaction. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of indie artists and upcoming artists, I feel like there's been this discourse over the last few years about like the value of blogs, the value of publications and making those relationships as an artist. So do you think they're important to make relationships with blogs and publications? And yeah, if, yeah, why? A hundred percent. I think it, it, it comes down to even as simple as like, you know, like your people, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, a lot of times you realize like the people that may be covering you have like similar 
things in common. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you like soccer? I fuck with soccer too. You know what I'm saying? Like there's other things that there's other things to connect on. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, even if somebody doesn't necessarily agree with your music and they're covering you, you know what I mean? Doesn't necessarily like that person's doing their job, you know what I'm saying? But it doesn't mean like they don't fuck with you personally, you know what I'm saying? It's just, you know what I'm saying? It's not, you know, it's not, not, not my cup of tea, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a conflict there, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I understand, but I understand why, where it would be, because, you know, a lot, of, a lot of, you know, like it's hard to separate personal and, and music, you know what I'm saying? But it's definitely just, we're all people just trying to make something happen, you know what I'm saying? We're all trying to just do our jobs. We're all just trying to connect with the people that we connect with. Um, so in order to really help your progression, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it would behoove you. I think behoove is the word I've been wanting to use that word. It would behoove you to, to, to cultivate relationships with, you know, the media and blog. If you look at even like, you know, in sports, you know what I'm saying? Certain like, like LeBron James, you know what I'm saying? He's not, every reporter isn't, you know, but yeah. He knows, he knows he, he has to, you know, there's certain, there's certain, there's, you know, you're not going to be buddy, buddy with every, everybody that covers you, but there's certain relationships that, you know, that are stronger than others. And you got to recognize those, you know what I'm saying? Definitely. You tapped into something too, that I like tell when I, whenever I'm talking to artists about who are trying to get coverage and they're just trying to get coverage so much, they're not thinking about the reality that you also don't want coverage from someone who doesn't truly fuck with your shit because then it doesn't elevate it at all. Like, but, but those people when, so you should be searching really for like people who have coverage that you feel like would align with you. But then when you find those people, like really be like as human as possible and as organic as possible, but cultivate those relationships. But that's really important too. 100%. 100%. So I got I got the uh, the music question section for sure, because I, I had to ask Well, I've been, you know, I've been telling you on our own just that you've been finding a specific pocket lately with the flow that that just feels like a, a little bit of like a, a shift. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, there's certain ways that I would describe it. But is this like a conscious thing that you're doing um, with with your pocket that you feel like is working better for you now? Uh trying things i've been there's, there's been a lot of ex, uh, experimenting you know um now that i've like i've i like moved into so kimchi i was i made the year album with kimchi uh we made it in this space uh and kimchi moved to jersey uh so i kind of moved in with two of my other boys and we've taken over this space this started in october um and from october till about right now like we've just been trying things you know recording trying things freestyling a lot of voice memos um and that's a pocket that i've the pocket that you've been hearing you know on the side you know private links and all that <laughs> um that's those are some of the pockets like so those those are songs that are amongst many but we you know you pull those out and it's like okay like we're getting something here like there's something about this there's something that you're doing here you know what i'm saying that's catching our ear more than you know what you're doing like these other things aren't bad but there's like these like yeah you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of just recognizing that more and getting and stepping into that more. And you'll hear, and I have a, brother, a bunch of other joints that are that I'm, I'm stepping more and more into that, that pocket and into that ascension of sound. Oh, yeah, ascension of sound. I like that. Um, <laughs> <We're> <laughs> <pinning> that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's really just a result of me trying things and getting more comfortable and not, and, and learning what I like about my voice and, and like, what things I don't like, you know what I'm saying? It's It's been a lot of uh, addition by subtraction, you know? Word, word. It's funny I that I've been able to ask this specifically just because I haven't seen you in a minute. But um, 
since I've last seen you, you shifted from Trey Young to Donnie Durag. And I was wondering if that alignment had anything to do with like the kind of pocket switch too, or if, if um, what was the reason just generally that you decided to fully you, well, you are Trey Young, AKA Donnie Durag before, but now full Donnie Durag. Yeah. Um, it was more just bringing like a singular focus. Um, it's hard enough, you know, trying to break into this industry and to really grab someone's attention. I mean, having two names is cool, but it's also like, all right, who is this guy with the two names, you know? And I had that going, like it wasn't, it wasn't a thing, but it was just like, yo, let's not make it harder for myself. You know, like, it's like, like I said, it's already hard enough. And it's like Donnie Durag, like anytime you, you I, I was meeting somebody, you know, I say Trey Young or Donnie, I, I usually like whatever you remember me as. And a lot of times, like a lot of like the new people I was meeting, it's Donnie, yo Donnie, what's good? Yo Donnie, yo Donnie, you know what's good? Like I was trying to find your music and I couldn't find it. It's under Trey Young, you know. So it's like, oh yeah, okay, that's I guess you know, you know. And it's like it's like you know you get you get and I like oh, all right, you know nobody's really like trying to be proactive after that. It's like all right, it's it's too much. It's too much work to get to to get to to tap into this guy, you know. So the pandemic really allowed me to just you know take take some time back and really just look at okay, like like this is what you're going to do. Like, this is, this is, this is, this is music is, it's, it's like life or death for you. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, how can you really step into that? You know? And I feel like the Donnie Durag thing really was, was the thing. And then the first song I released under Donnie Durag, no laughing, it gets that like Rolling Stone look. So I'm like, okay, let's not ignore the signs no more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know let's, I mean? let's, like, uh, let's stick with that. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. You know what I'm saying? So that really was that the reasoning for that transition. Yeah, oh, I'm gonna close it off with some uh, some fun questions, some more exciting stuff. Hey, man, we can go all day, man. Now we gotta we gonna have to like I don't know. I'm gonna have to come. I'm gonna have to come find you guys. We're gonna have to link up and just you know shoot the shit. Yeah. One of the cool things about like how the pandemic has like put everybody in this sort of like digital space is that I now mm -hmm. feel like I've met so many people that I just need to like travel to like see these people in, like so many different states. That's like connections I wouldn't have made as strong digitally if everyone was still doing more like local stuff that has 100 percent, very but true very true first question i want to ask you is did you learn how to roll joints from the video of wiz khalifa in the hot tub <laughs> i got it didn't i Dog. <laughs> i can nah, tell i can tell by the nah, bro 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 <laughs> i'm not gonna lie bro that was super nard <laughs> yeah, that's the biggest like how did you family. know bro i literally anytime like somebody's asking me like yo like how do i like how do i roll like i always reference that video bro like that video is a staple like that like like bro like I remember the fitted, the glasses, like he made it all so yeah. cool. Like, the Khalifa Kush. The coolest, the coolest, the fucking the W in the in the in the in the in the filter. Coolest, yep. Bro. Wow. It's five folds. Five night, folds bro. to get the W. I love you guys. I, I, can I, tell I love you guys. Because of the I love twist. you guys, but <laughs> Yeah, man. It's yes, the twist, bro. the twist in the boat. Yeah, bro. The boat is ugh. Damn, that made my that made my that made my day. <laughs> <laughs> that made my day, bro. I, and then Mickey for sure wants to know your top three Flatbush food spots. All right, so Fisherman Cove, right. it's right on my block actually. Um, Parkside and Flatbush Fisherman Cove. Um, hmm, let me not let me not overthink, but let me not underthink. Uh, P 
peaches, peaches, peaches hot house, or 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 the seafood spot, either one, and bedside fish fry, and it's and the bedside fish fry is crazy because I've only had it twice, but it was so good. And it's so memorable because I waited like an hour and a half to get the food. You know what I'm saying? But after I ate the food, I understood. Like, it was like, I, you know what I'm saying? So you got to order this before you're hungry. It's got to be like, yo, I'm going to have bedside fish fry today. So you've got to order that at noon in hopes that you get it. You know what I'm saying? Well, all right, the appetite is kicking in. You know what I'm saying? But those three off the off the top, like I'm there's probably there's probably others that that tickle my fancy, but those three came to the top fast, like you know. Don't have to think about it. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. Can't forget the deli too. You know what I'm saying? The bacon, egg, and cheese right there. You know what I'm saying? I need to get That's I need to get a bacon, egg, and cheese. I need I need one of those. I hear so much about that. And then as soon as you come to the towns, bro, I got you. What do you so what do you think about have you seen the trend for uh St. Louis that they cut bagels down the middle so that you have two little like half circle bagels? And what do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you do that? I low-key need a visual of, of the, so it's like all right, so the bagel is like a complete circle, and instead mm-hmm. of cutting it so that you have two circle bagels, you know, that it pulls apart mm-hmm. like that, yeah, you cut it down the middle. So you have two like bagel tubes. Nah, then what? Come that's St. Louis. Yeah. I don't they get a lot of shit for that on social media. I'm in the Midwest area, so I catch that heat all the time. Uh, uh, I yeah, mean to, to each to each his own, but that seems like a really difficult way to eat a bagel. Especially to like New York. I know like New York bagels are like definitely a thing. Right. Cinnamon raisin. Lightly toasted with some butter. You know what I'm saying? I'm really like I like cream cheese, but I'm really like really like I'm really easy to please. Like a really good peanut butter and jelly sandwich will take me to the moon. You know what I'm saying? So like <laughs> so really nice, like a cinnamon raisin bagel, lightly toasted with like you know, a slab of butter, you know what I'm saying? Like start yeah. with with you know, with maybe like a smoothie, like dog, you're ready to, to fuck some shit up <laughs> like right. you're ready you are ready right well yeah, man, I, I can't wait i can't wait dog i got you all the spots are, pizza right what are the three quintessential parkside fit items for winter that are not a bubble coat not a bubble okay so the the polo ralph Lauren, the full the full the full um the full sweatsuit you know what I'm saying? So it's and it kind of it's kind of like 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 thermal quilted on the thermal quilted on the inside. You know what I'm saying? So it's like really it's like for every day like you can really rock this for like five days straight as long as you, you know you switch there you switch the undergarments switch the white tee switch you know switch the boxes out like you can really go for a strong week with some white ups you know whatever the bubble coat is you know what i'm saying whatever the fitted you go to bucket you go to the, you know you go to gray bottom we got the truck on right now shout out to my guys think that um you need the fitted you need the gray bottom i'm not a yankees fan i'm a mets fan so i have the the yankee colored mets fitted Whoa. with the gray bottom you know what i'm saying necessary there ought to be a gray bottom <laughs> Um, and I'll say that, like, you know, you know, you hear the don't wear white after Labor Day. Nah, bro. All white, 
Air Force Ones, low top, any weather. They're always valid. Always, always valid. Wow. That's always that's valid. Real specific. So with the bubble, mm-hmm. are you saying North North Face all the way, or do you prefer a different bubble? Um, I like North Face, but any like North Face, um, Merm. If you want to get this, if you want to get high end, you want to go Montclair. You want to go Macaj. You want to go anything that's got like that bubble format. You know what I'm saying? Like that bubble format. You know what I'm saying? Like this is the North Face, of course. You know, shout out to North Face. But anything with this type of, you know what I mean? Like just to keep you real. It's, a, it's, a, it's I think it's like a real signature New York look, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Definitely. So quintessential park. You know, I just I feel like everybody else. Quintessential Parkside fit officially. Mets hat with the Yankee colors in the gray bottom. Polo sweatsuit. North Face bubble. Low top Air Force Ones all white. Lie. That boy is killing them. That boy is killing them. <laughs> he is. You know what I'm saying? He's set. I like that. And I like I like Mont Blanc Cologne. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm really like. Every year for Christmas, my parents just know, like, that's just another bottle of Mont Blanc. So, like, that's, like, I would say a safe eight to ten spritzes, you're good to go. Finishing touch. There it is. You're good to go. Wow. Steal his look. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. Now, if All I right, see you in a full polo down, I'm going to definitely I'm gonna salute <laughs> you, my boy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well... Yo, I think uh, th- you've definitely given us just off the the you know the banter, the longest <laughs> interview for our editor to edit down with all of the seven that we're gonna have, man. But it's <laughs> always good talking to you, bro. And um, I'm gonna definitely hit you next time I'm in the city. And hey, bro, I need to come check you out there, bro. Yeah. See what's yeah, up. I'm trying hey. to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. You know what I'm saying? And I we, we shot winner and why we finished that today. Oh, bet money. Great. Yeah, sir. Yeah, let so, me know whenever you got the drop date, and uh, and we'll get it. definitely definitely this week because this is like the last cold week of, oh, yeah. like in New York. I'm gonna say it's supposed and it's supposed to supposedly snow Friday, but I'm aiming between Wednesday and Friday. Right. Yo, if you can drop it on the day that it snows, you're a legend for that for sure. Yeah, bro. I'm <laughs> trust me, bro. I'm praying for it. Like did that one last snow day. Like I need it. I yeah. need it, bro. Perfect. Perfect. Word. Well, we're all crossing our fingers for the snow day. Brothers, brothers, it's been a pleasure. I wanted to curse, but I'll keep it. I'll keep it. You know what I'm saying? I'll keep it PG. Hey, we don't censor. <laughs> no sense. Hey, it's been a fucking pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm about to get high with my boy birthday. We're going to watch some Sopranos. Look out for no themed music in the future because we've been really binging that. So, you know. Hey. I mean, you know, you already done Donnie Soprano, but just you know, look for more into that into that realm. Word. Just a heads up. Oh, you know, Rocco's to the moon, my guy. To the fucking moon. I love you guys, man. Thank you so much. You too, dog. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming. All right, so we are here with British jazzy lo-fi band Pika. What's up, guys? Yo, yo, yo. How's it going, guys? Amazing, man. Glad for you guys. Uh, glad for you guys to be here. That doesn't make sense. We're all <laughs> anyway. We'll carry on. Thank you, guys.
I'm glad for you guys to have us. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful to be here. Feeling saucy. Feeling saucy. Love that. <laughs> All right. So you guys became roommates during lockdown, right? No, no, no. No, we met, um, no, no. We can see Mickey cracking up. No. So, um, so we have been good friends for like a decade or more. <laughs> We had our first child back in. <laughs> no, we uh, we met at music college um, in Guildford back in uh, 2009. 2009, yeah. And we oh. met at the very end of that, at the last month, and then just happened to both be going to the same uni to do music. Just complete coincidence. So we kind of became mates in that last month of music college, and then and then went to the same uni. Um, and then yes, yeah, so we've known each other for years, but we didn't start the the project and writing together properly until. Right. Yeah, I think we, we were just lucky to be living together when lockdown hit. Yeah. See, I yeah, see. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just enabled us to write even more and, you know, no one's allowed to do anything except for us. We could just sit in our house and write music, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. kind I of do. great. Yeah. Well, my point still stands then because the uh, my point was that the set that you sent for us for uh, SourceFest really feels like a jam session between friends. So right. is that an energy you guys had to tap into or was it really just like a natural thing to do your set like that and have that chemistry? That was probably take. Yeah, we did, we, did a few, we did quite a few takes <laughs> to, get, to get what we were happy with. Um, but no, it was, it, apart from that, it was pretty organic. Like there, there was stripped down arrangements of, the, of our songs. So they were literally just acoustic. Obviously, yeah. we've got lots more on the records. And when we take everything live properly, it's going to be bigger with the band and stuff. But... Mm. That was pretty organic. Yeah, we've not done a huge amount of live stuff. Um, we just, we just, I think we just enjoyed playing the songs live. Like we haven't had an opportunity to create acoustic versions of the songs mm -hmm. or arrange them for acoustic guitar. Yeah. Often so used to just having the production side of things make things sound great. So I think we just enjoyed making the acoustic versions and then maybe that came across and yeah yeah, yeah yeah uh, it's still weird doing it to a camera though like, can't wait to play <laughs> yeah. actual live shows and have real response yeah yeah right yeah, did, yeah you try to, did you try to duplicate that kind of i mean obviously you have to do it to the camera but did you do anything to try to like give yourself that idea of like i know this is just a camera but we're trying to do this like we're doing it for the audience because it felt like it came through like you were doing it for people i feel, I feel like I mean, we you can't ignore that it's just fake and it's a camera there, but but we, we obviously just like getting into the music and we, we're actually which we, we are feeling the music genuinely, so I feel like that helps it come across like it's real. Or we just I would watch you two in a buddy cop show. I would <laughs> <laughs> okay, this would be a good could be some good, could be some good content spin-off from that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you guys, I mean, this is the first time I've seen you, but like just the idea of it being, I guess it wouldn't necessarily have to be cops, but you guys look like the antithesis of whatever my, in my mind says a cop looks like. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good thing over in the UK. No, right no, now. no, it's a bad thing right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, skip over that little blitz. <laughs> <laughs> music <laughs> right yeah but speaking of the uk um there's an incredible jazz scene here especially around london so how much of your sound um like starting the fika project how much is that sound being influenced and cultivated through being in spaces with these other uk jazz and r&b artists a, a, a lot i think um when we when we first started i'm trying to think what the era was 
I think we were we were kind of discovering and getting into, you know, like Tom Mish and mm. Jordan Rakai and that kind of crowd. Um, I think, yeah, I think it was like a melting pot. So Sam's background was uh, kind of a, more so than me, a bit more kind of singer-songwriter, acoustic-y singer-songwriter. My background was a little bit different, more kind of just a musician. Um, not just a musician. Not just a musician. No, but background. Like, <laughs> brought up on like great old music like MJ, Stevie Wonder, or, you know, all the greats. Blah, blah. And I think it was like this, this perfect melting pot of the music and the songwriting, us both then getting more in, engaged with the other one's kind of skill set um, at the same time as this kind of new wave of, yeah, like the, the, the Tom Mish generation coming around and it no doubt obviously yeah, influenced yeah. the stuff we were writing. And I think we've got, since working with like, so Jackson Mafford, he played trumpet on, on Make You Feel. We've met him and he sort of opened us up into this world of just amazing musicians. So like for us, we're, you know, we're writing songs, there's the artistry, the production, and then the layer on top of that are like the, the jazz musicians in London that, that maybe you, you refer to who are just amazing. And it's so, since working with Jackson to like be exposed to those people and try and get some of that into our music as well because we don't just want to write commercial pop songs we want to write <clears throat> really interesting music that does appeal to lots of people yeah yeah, yeah. rather yeah. than like try and write yeah. something that fits a certain yeah. audience actually bring it to more people because we because we feel we might not be there yet but that there's a lot of great song kind of great songwriting but not necessarily in the style that we love there's less really great music which often lacks good songwriting i think and then traditional like you know one guy and an acoustic guitar or one girl an acoustic guitar who's great at writing songs but not necessarily so interested in like all the musical stuff that we like yeah. so we yeah we're, we're trying to kind of marry the two yeah yeah well london is has such a unique energy and i feel like generic pop pop songs do not capture it in any sense like walking <laughs> around london and listening to music you have to have a very specific energy and i asked that question just because you guys are that to me when I'm oh. walking around London? I, I want to be listening to "Missing Me" on repeat three hundred thousand oh. times because it's just <laughs> really perfect for the atmosphere. Oh, thanks, man. Well, Thank I, you, that man. was a great time when we wrote that song. That yeah. was literally a summer's day in London. Yeah, when we wrote that song, we were. Uh, yeah, they captured it. They captured it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were at our mate's little studio in Hackney, and he had like a shipping. It's just like a shipping container. His little studio, and it had a nice little space out the back, and. Had a few beers, sun was shining. Yeah, it's a good day. Good day. Ciao, Chris Fabish. Yeah. How's he doing, by the way? How's Fabish doing? Yeah, he's just he's just loving life. And he's in Lisbon at the moment, just enjoying himself. I think he's he's releasing his album this year, so he's doing a track a month. I think. I might uh, I might have to talk to him when that rolls around. He's still like I want like I want to talk to him. I want to see him, but I also love the sort of mysterious enigma that you guys like built of him from our last <laughs> conversation. But he's like, yeah, like you just said, he can, you know, when you said, where, how's he doing? Where is he? He can be anywhere in the world. He happens to be in Lisbon right now, but he also just might suddenly go off to like Thailand for four weeks or just travel somewhere random. But he can, you know, he can write wherever and yeah. collaborate wherever. So, so yeah. you talked about, um, you know, you're kind of like MJ in that era of influence. Um, but I hear like an inherent kind of nostalgic quality to your music. And this is a thing that we've been talking about a lot is the kind of craveability of nostalgia, but having it reinterpreted in the time of now, especially in a time where the world is kind of in a like, what the hell is going on? That like the kind of 
version kind of the mix of like nostalgic something and something that's when you reinterpret it it's almost futuristic on some level and it's just like escapism on some level so do you think about having that quality to your music while you're making it or do you think it just naturally comes that way i think the latter i think yeah yeah I, I, so something that we've tried to well no that we've got better at helped a lot by Chris Fabish again, another shout out to him, is kind of embracing the whole don't overthink what you're doing. Don't, don't kind of pre-plan. We're going to write a song about this today. We're going to try and capture this vibe. This These are the references. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. Just don't do it. 10 times out of 10, that just results in shit music or a shit song and you just can it and you never come back to it. Like the be- It's so cliche, but the best stuff comes just organically, naturally. If like- we, we love music. We listen to music every day and we have done since we found music yeah, yeah, so yeah. there's decades of just like listening to our favorite music that will just inherently come out when yeah, we write yeah. so i think we try to engineer a space that leaves us not trying too hard mm. to make something specific because we just trust the process to allow something beautiful to come out yeah exactly and that coupled with being in and around other artists and producers and singers and stuff who are doing stuff currently and we're listening to modern yeah. stuff as well and, and so obviously that all comes comes together organically i think um yeah so it's not it's not a deliberate choice i don't think so do you have a lot of songs that you kind of start on and then kind of throw it away when you're not feeling it or do you more often kind of like work through the kinks until the song comes out oh, that's a good question I, well I, I, we don't really have I feel like we're quite fortunate. In never miss. We, well, <laughs> but we don't really have it very often. We don't have like a long list of tracks that we've ditched, really. We've got like a, we've got a few. No, I, I guess in sessions, like, or when we're, when we're specifically going in to write something, there's always that moment where do we call it or do we persevere? Mm. And I think we're, we're pretty good at calling it. Yeah, we've got better. And it, I think it's just a judgment call thing. The more you do it, the more you realise, like, is this actually going to go anywhere? Or can we spend another four hours on this and it's still going to be as shit as it was? And so many times, which again, this has been like a learning process and we've done this so many times when that situation has happened, when we've been really unsure, like, oh no, this, there's something really good in this. But then when we do call it, like this happened, we had a session last week, like five minutes later, an idea came out, which was a hundred times better than the last six hours that was spent. We think, yeah, good. If we hadn't called that, we could have wasted the rest of the day and that, wouldn't, that idea would have never come mm. But we never spend we never spend like loads of time on something and then realize it's it's no good. I'd say it's yeah. like a four to six hour threshold. Yeah, yeah. And that's when we'll know if it's worth working on or not. Yeah. Now, as a duo, is that always something that you guys agree on, or do you guys ever, you know, really disagree about one of you like really liking a song and the other one's like not feeling it? That's never happened. I think. No, I, no, that was going to be my guess too. Because you, well, I was going to, I wasn't sure where you were going to go with, with that question to begin. With, but I'd say ninety-nine percent of the time, we agree on general vibe of whether a track is good or, or not. And the disagreement, the disagreements usually come from like nonsense, bullshit, <laughs> by, like zooming in on like, well, yeah, um, when we're at the end power of a project, yeah, and it's yeah. just like, oh, the vocals like sends out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That snare should be like. Fraction later, yeah. So apart from that, we agree most of the time, yeah. And yeah. as so, as far as duos go, if you guys could collaborate with any other duo of artists, who would you choose? Are they current, current or current? Oh, you can do current or dead, current or past. Duo, interesting. So I'm trying to think here. 
like I can think of some which I like, but then they might be like too similar to what we do. Um, Daft Punk. Daft Punk, yeah. yeah. Daft Punk. Yeah. That would be crazy. Relevant. Yeah. I think we could yeah. basically stick with Daft Punk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be crazy. So, well, so, we, uh, so I, Hon came to mind, but Anton then I. Anton Deck. <laughs> <laughs> British that's what makes it funny at least like, like national treasures in England um, <laughs> I'd like to see uh Anderson Pack and uh Bruno Mars and count, oh, them as a, yeah. count them as a duo now they got an album coming out yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so, I so can't wait like, for that album yeah it's gonna be yeah. insane or oh. even even Tom Mish and Yusuf count them as a duo yeah yeah that's nice. true that's yeah. true yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when it when it comes to performing, you know, we've talked so much about how your music builds this very specific environment. It's this very specific like climate that, and this sort of feeling that comes with it. So if you could build like your ideal venue space, like your ideal live show, you you have the craziest budget in the world. You know, what kind of space do you want to build to do your music in a in a live environment? You know, what does the show look like? Room. Well, I was just going to say the first, the, the closest thing we want to maybe do a bit differently, but something that comes to mind is: Have you seen Wolfpack's Madison Square mm -hmm. Garden gig? Do you guys, do you guys know Wolfpack? I do. I haven't seen that gig. Sounds familiar. Uh, if you haven't, first of all, if you haven't seen that gig, you need to. The second this interview's done, go and watch it. It's unreal. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, they've got like the whole stage set up like it's a huge living room. There's like just sofas and record players and plants and stuff, that kind of thing. Um, and we always talk about wanting to have that kind of feel when we're writing or in sessions because when you're in like studios and stuff it's just so cold and just lacking in an atmosphere so whenever you can be in someone's like living room or something or even someone's bedroom like it's just mm. vibe yeah so i feel like trying to match that kind of vibe yeah to some degree <clears throat> um yeah but i mean if we had limit unlimited budget we could yeah, I don't know. We'd have to. We'd, we'd go a bit crazier than just the living room, I guess. And pool party, pool party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what about for for past performances? What's uh, some of the like most off the wall places you've ever performed, or some of the strangest or most interesting places that you've ever done music live? Not really done. Well, for us as speaker, we haven't we haven't really done much. Um, we played two open mic nights before lockdown hit. We were gonna start moving things forward and start playing some live shows and then obviously the pandemic struck so we didn't have a chance to really play we, we, was it two open mics we played yeah, yeah yeah There's only a couple, yeah 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 and not not a huge amount to report i'm afraid you're <laughs> 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 standing over mic we played a show when we were was that southampton when we were at uni yeah yeah we played a show when we were at uni together way before fika like 10 years before fika uh and it was that's probably one of the worst shows never played just yeah, very yeah. hungover <laughs> seriously i was tuning his guitar and i was just being rude it was just it was just so it was so bad and so unprofessional maybe that's why we didn't do anything for like 10 years. maybe yeah yeah well that, that that in general just reminds me of like not not exciting gigs but i've done many like function gigs and stuff at, at just awful <laughs> shit venues where like you're playing to a completely empty room literally like no, no one's even in there watching you it's just soul, soul destroying can't wait to leave <laughs> pay me my money yeah well we realized that now what we need post pandemic is a, a fika living room pool party 
show. We've actually, apart from the pool, we've actually kind of had this idea. So a mate of ours, this guy, Pete Watts, he had his 30th at this really cool space in Dalston. Shout out um, to Pete Watts. Shout out to Pete Watts, yeah. And uh, it's a really cool kind of artistic venue and space. It's just a space, really, but it's like you're in someone's home. Um, and yeah, we, we'd love to do, we actually probably will do like a gig there and do like a Fika and Friends type gig where all the people we've collaborated with would invite for the night. Um, so we definitely could do something like that. Yeah. Well, I might have to head overseas yeah, for that. That sounds we, awesome. You know, from doing Central Sauce, we keep talking about doing a UK trip. So maybe we'll have to align it with, with that. That sounds cool. Uh, yes, guys. Yeah, yeah. We'll let you know when, when yeah, that yeah, yeah. around. Well, thanks, guys, for, for your time and for uh, talking with us. We appreciate you. And we're hyped to, to show your Sauce Fest set to everyone and, and get the feedback because we think it's really dope. Nice Thank you very much. Guys. Yeah, thank you for your time, guys. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the write-ups. Really, really appreciate it. We are here with Atlanta-based activist, producer, graphic designer, and rapper, Imp. Who also started as a visual artist. He started as a visual artist. <laughs> How are you? How do you? Uh, I'm well. How are you? Wonderful. Not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah, great to be here doing this interview. Yeah, we've we've yeah, really thank you for having me. Dope. We've really enjoyed doing these little mini artist interviews. Um, so we're we're all because we haven't spoken with you before. Really excited to to talk through all of all of your your art and your you know offering to our our festival. So yeah, again, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, uh, yeah, I'm. I really don't know how to be right now. I'm like, I'm like not on my coffee right now, so I'm like trying to be energetic. <laughs> while I'm totally not. It's a little weird for me. You can keep on the the. You know, the, this is a podcast, so the podcast vibes are very low key. So you're all good. Oh, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Think about I'm podcasting into the void. Podcasting into the void. <laughs> so. We're huge fans of you. That's why it's great to be here. And your set that you sent us for SourceFest was very unique and special in the sense that you were showcasing your rapping ability and producing ability at the same time. So what, how was uh, managing that for you during that set? Uh, truthfully, that was the first time I did rapping while playing through my SP404 so uh, it was very different for me i had to it felt like i was using two completely unrelated parts of my brain at the same time so <laughs> it was a little manic uh i felt a little manic but it felt pretty uh cathartic to be able to do that so yeah what made you want to set that challenge for yourself uh I, I like to give more than what's expected of me, like in anything I do, uh, call it the overachiever in me, but doing the bare minimum has never been a thing that's ever excited me. I like going the extra mile just for my own sake. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. You can tell just listening to the music and you, because the way that you rhyme is very unique to you. It's atypical and do you think you got to show off that kind of side to your music 
do you think you got to show off your full range of your capabilities during the set? Um, I don't think that's absolutely necessary, but because uh, like being here in Atlanta, like typically if I were if we were not in a pandemic, let's imagine that we're not. If I'm at a, any given show, I don't really fit into like most circles that I'm around. So typically if I'm doing anything, I'm just like, I'm just going to do whatever I feel like doing at this given time and we'll see if it works out or not. But that's basically it. Whatever I do is just going to be me regardless, whether I'm doing lyrical miracles, full mime scheme bits, heavy stuff, or, or if I'm like, I'm going to be introspective. Right. It really doesn't matter which I do. Right. Yeah, I was going to say that definitely comes through in the music, especially like what you said about you know, feeling like you're using multiple parts of your brain at the same time. Like, yeah. I, I definitely like get that feeling as it comes through in your music for sure. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's clear from our intro and just talking to you more and more how multifaceted you are. So it's interesting to hear for on my end here, you say you don't feel like you totally fit into one group or another. Cause I, I kind of relate to that on some level. Cause I do a lot of different mm. things too, where you kind of jump in and out from different groups and feel different. Like you have a different role in each of the other ones. But mm -hmm. one thing I'm really interested in the cross section of is your activism in your music, because they definitely bleed into one another, but I was wondering how you view it. Uh, I don't, I don't really know how to answer that. Um, I guess like, growing up like one of the biggest weapons i could have been given as a kid was like a library card so uh one of the first things i did when i was like maybe six seven eight years old i don't fucking know how am i allowed to cuss i should have asked yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah we ain't got no censorship Sweet. no censorship oh, cool <laughs> we do it live oh uh, like one of so like some of the stuff that i got into growing up was like uh, one of the first books I read was uh, one of Angela Davis's books, uh, which was about like the intersections of like race and gender. Uh, I've also been really big into like James Baldwin. Uh, I have like a copy of uh, of Malcolm X's autobiography that I used to like carry around with me, like like for like a whole year back when I was in high school. So like these are just things that I've always been interested in. And like, I guess it's just different parts of my uh, personality just coming through as opposed to it being like a conscious decision to say, I'm going to make the socio-political song today. That's not mm -hmm. really my thing. It's more so these are just things that I'm actively interested in. So if I randomly drop like a, if I were to randomly drop like a, like a Chairman Mao quote or something, that's not me trying to like grab on to like, anything it's just me being who i am same with if i were to drop like a random comic book character reference in something or if i mention like uh or if i like quote something off of like an old tv show that's just stuff i'm into yeah so Man, we gotta we gotta talk books <laughs> baldwin and uh malcolm x both you know peak my ear what's uh have you read giovanni's room by james baldwin I have not. I've seen you talking about you it would on love Twitter, it. and I'm like, you I need to grab it. that. You would love it. It sounds like it, it like nestles like right in your interest area too, and it's by Baldwin. Uh, what's your favorite Baldwin book then that you've read? Recommend me one because I'm not uh, super read on Baldwin, but I love Giovanni's room. Have you read Go Tell It on the Mountain? Nope. And that's that's on my right. list. That's one everybody recommends. Yeah. 
Yeah, try that one. Um, Go Tell It on the Mountain is, I wouldn't call it like an autobiographical book of his, but it's like a loosely based kind of book in that regard. Um, That's about the most I want to say without like spoiling anything. Uh, The story is primarily about it's primarily about one character, but there are chapters that go from the vantage points of like all the other people in that character's life. I think you'll enjoy it if you're into stuff like that. Yeah, Baldwin's writing is just insane. <laughs> just right? insane. Definitely. Um, so you talked about, you know, making sure that, you know, whether there's a cross section or not, that it's all kind of your creation is organic and it comes from a part of, you know, who you inherently are as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those things that, you know, describes who you are is, is your live performance, especially with full, you know, backing band, like the African space program. How have you been dealing with mm-hmm. kind of the withdrawal from those performances during the pandemic? Uh, am I really? De- so before we even hit pandemic, I would tell my mates, you know, I'm really tired of doing shows because they wanted to book us for shows like all the time. And I'm like, can we record stuff? Can we make new content? <laughs> That's <laughs> like, like I'm quintessential like, artist conundrum. Yeah, like I'm tired of playing like the same five, six, seven songs at a show. So when pandemic hit, I was like, all right, cool. I get to finish this record that I should have had done last year. I get to write new material and probably sometime around like June or July, that's when the I'm not performing jitters hit. Uh, So in order to combat that, I haven't. Um, But that's probably (laughs) a good thing. (laughs) It's probably a good thing that I haven't. Like uh, I needed to kind of learn to simmer down and like focus on things that aren't my musical output such as like resting uh not trying to be creative all the time because that leads to burnout and i feel like i'm relearning that process again now because like it's a whole ordeal that i have to balance knowing when to be creative when i can just simmer down and like watch watch a cartoon read a book yeah yeah because that that need to I guess like that pressure to create really is the pressure mm. to monetize at the end of the day, isn't it? It's like, I should do this so I can do this. But really, <clears throat> you can't create if you haven't soaked in other art. Like you need to, I guess, live between songs, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, totally. 100%. On that Otis Menzel, oh, I didn't have link up with him. Hmm? He talks about the, basically like the same creative philosophy. Shoot, I probably should. I, I haven't read who wrote the article for Otis Mensa because I haven't Ryan, read that yeah. one yet. Ryan, you, oh, you would right love that on. one. It's that's the whole article is like exactly what you were just talking about. Okay, great. I'm definitely gonna get into that as soon as we're like done here. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know what you think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so um I know you perform a lot with like a hip hop band, like you like the live instrumentation. So if, if you could make up a perfect hip hop band to back you with musicians from any time in history, from any genre, who would they be? Oh God, that's so oh. <laughs> sheesh. Um, Miles Davis is necessary, uh, without a doubt. Um, oh God, bass player, bass player. Who do I want playing bass? I want Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers on bass. <laughs> that's all. That's uh, this all right. ba- you know. 
Just you the know, them, that's all you need. You know, Flea did a whole album with uh, Jamin Auburn of the Gorillas. Damon Auburn. Damon You're Alburn. kidding that's me. What I said, right? Yeah, it's called Rocket Juice in the Moon or Rocket Juice to the Moon or something like that. Oh, it's really funky. It's really, it's really funky. It's out there stuff. I'm, I'm writing this down immediately. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right, sure. Uh, so Miles Davis, Flea. Uh, I'm trying to write and think of artists at the same time. This is <laughs> Got um, in the bass. Uh, who do I want on drums? Caffel Descent say without a doubt. Mm. Uh, shout out to Caffel Descent say Gunther drops soon. I'm excited for that. Uh, who do I want on vocals singing? Uh, uh, darn. Um, I've only heard like two projects from this artist. Uh, Tyler wrote about this artist. There's an artist named uh, Abigail Cernal. I yeah. think she has phenomenal singing chops. My God. Yeah. Um, one, of, one of these days I need to ask, can we collab, please? <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, did I mention a guitarist? I did not. Uh, I'm going to keep my current guitarist from my band, Zion Amir uh just because he he knows me very well and if he's not playing guitar i want him on saxophone because he plays that too he plays like 12 different instruments um uh, it'll blend of the old and the new that's what oh, i was gonna say another, i like that you got another like instrument anyway. still in mind i'm trying to think if there's anything else i want going on um you know what? I'm just going to cut it off there before I like <laughs> start thinking about every little instrument that could possibly be used. I can use a triangle. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be playing the triangle. <laughs> and we know you're a big fan of comic books. So uh, what are your top three yes. comic book movies? Comic book movies. Um, oh, that's, that's a difficult one. Uh, insert insert any ninja turtle movie here except for the uh the first one that was done by paramount was it paramount i don't remember i've not seen those was, uh the second one uh that was like uh the quote-unquote bay turtles the second one was excellent the first one was terrible don't watch it <laughs> uh, uh so i'm gonna go with ninja turtles just pick one um god comic book movies uh i'll throw in a batman movie i'm gonna throw in batman versus teenage mutant ninja turtles because it's still ninja turtles um i like logan a lot logan's amazing yeah yeah right like so many terrible x-men movies but logan is a great one (laughs) and so so glad that they did the r-rated wolverine movie well like that that's the one that really needed to be done well I could go on yeah, all the day about day. the X-Men franchise. Like, I could talk all day about, like, every movie and what they did. Right <laughs> I've seen every movie. I could probably do the same. They're mostly garbage. It's so bad. Uh, and even once people right. say it, they're, like, mostly bad. <laughs> yeah, just, just get Chris Claremont to do the film adaptations. It'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. Be fine. Do you have a top three comic book arcs? Real quick. Uh... Uh, like any comic book or just X-Men? Any comic book. Any comic book. Um, I want to go with the Brood Saga from X-Men. Okay. Uh, I really, really dig that one. I feel like 
it gets overshadowed way too much by like dark phoenix saga like yeah like brood saga was fucking dope um i want to go with uh let's throw in city at war from teenage mutant ninja turtles um but the original Mirage one, just because I have not gotten all the way through IDW's uh, mm-hmm. City at War arc. Um, let me think. Any other comic book arcs I really like? Uh, I'm looking. I'm looking around at my uh, stack. Of, you know what? Let's go with. Uh, let's go with uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. There was this arc, like for the original Archie comics. There was this arc, like. Uh, starting with like i think issue 126 uh sonic like is in outer space and he's like i have to get back home i don't know how to do that so he goes through like everything from like participating in like an outer space wacky races to like fighting an evil supersonic which i'm certain is based off like sonic the comic in the uk but Mm. even so that one issue was was pretty freaking rad um so i'm gonna throw that in yeah those those will be my three. Hmm? Have you read um Tom King's Vision comic? I I have not. It is literally on my list because I like what Tom King did with Batman. Uh, so I really want to read his vision. That's the yeah. one where he has like the family and whatnot. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah, it's so good. It's my favorite comic book arc ever. It's hands down like absolutely amazing. Cool. Definitely adding that to the list. Okay, or I'll bumping it up on the list rather. <laughs> I would listen to a whole comic book podcast between the two of you. <laughs> you my it. my comic book knowledge is so like limited, but it's something I would love to like listen to that I wouldn't have to like fully engage in. Right. I mean, there are cool comic book podcasts out there. Like, explain the X Men with Jay and Miles is like a good one to start with if you're trying to get into any. All right. Well, that does it for uh, the questions we had for you. Thanks for coming on. Oh, that's it. Oh, yeah, we're, we're trying like to we keep were, them oh, short, yeah. and they always they always even go longer than what we planned. This is already long. Yeah, we had an initial plan, honestly, to uh, <laughs> to go with make it all one episode, but we end up talking way longer than we even anticipate with each guest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we got you know we got seven people in the festival, so we gotta we gotta keep. You know it. that's. That's fair. Uh, Ryan, we're definitely going to have to talk about comics later on. We're going to have to like share some titles and whatnot for sure. <laughs> you know where to find me. You know where to find me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, thank you. Thank you all so much for uh, having me both here and on the festival. It was great. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. So we are here with Moroccan-born, Montreal-based singer-songwriter Nora Dutane. How are you? I'm awesome. So happy to be with you guys. We're wonderful. So uh, your source best set, I feel like it's impossible to watch it without smiling and just generally feeling really great. So is that positivity <laughs> like the main element of your sound you're trying to highlight with your set? I guess, yeah, and it just comes naturally. So like my name is Nora in Arabic. It's Nora that comes from the word Nur that means light so I guess I'm just like and I've been told this so many times without even making the link with my name that I have this sunny uh, personality super solar energy when I'm on stage and 
it hit me one time. I was like, huh, but my name means light in Arabic. Like, I guess there's just nothing random in life. So, yeah, I guess it's just, yeah, natural. It doesn't mean that I don't have my downs because they totally happen. But whenever I connect with music and I, I engage with, you know, similar values with other of my musicians and audience, then that's where I fly the highest. And then it's obviously just radiating positive energies all the way for sure. Yeah, in yeah. reading Tyler's interview on the site, I think the word that comes up the most often is bright. That's very yeah. much like what comes to mind. So it's funny. Totally. I don't even think I don't even think he said in the interview that that's what your name actually meant. So that's a really interesting connection. Yeah, you know what? I I don't even I don't even think that I told him. Maybe not. But yeah, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. And the great thing about this is actually like the chemistry you have with um, the person you're working with, and you generally seem to have great chemistry with your musicians that you've collaborated with so do you um build relationships with these musicians that you work with or do you see, tend to work with a bunch of different people different times like you mean uh, on how how we we how the opportunities like, come yeah 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 so it, it's super organic and super intuitive like we're super lucky here in Montreal to have two huge hubs of connection in the R&B soul jazz scenes that are community and urban science. And, um, you know, we're just used to hanging uh, in these places so often jamming. And that that's where the bonds are being tight, like the strongest. We just jam and jam and jam. And I feel that when you jam with somebody, when they're like just improv that is being done with somebody that you don't know, but then because of music, you connect instantly, then like they become your brother and your sister like right away. Cause it's just this alt like alter universe connection through the power of music. And so that's how all of my connections have been created. It's just super organically through these amazing hubs of opportunities that are community and urban science. Cool. So another kind of community thing, and you, you mentioned, mentioned this to me either in email or DM, I don't remember that you were just on, um, uh, songwriting retreat, which I'm assuming is a little bit kind of community oriented. Um, I, I don't yeah. know really anything about them. So can you kind of explain um, what, how those work and then how it was for you? Totally. Absolutely. So uh, I remember talking to Tyler last year when I was at the retreat on site. So it's this center called the BAM Center that is super uh, famous in Canada. It's called the BAM Center for the Arts and Creativity. It's uh, in the Rockies in Alberta. It's like this beautiful place um, that offers uh, artists, but also leaders um, opportunities to just uh, connect through different programs. So it's very multi multidisciplinary. You have, you know, theaters, um, visual arts, uh, performance arts, music. But then you also have like the whole seminars for mathematicians, you know, thinkers, leaders, creators. And last year I was accepted in their singer songwriter retreat, which really changed my life because it was in this, you know, paradise environments in nature with amazing mentors. And that year, uh, this year, because the center was closed, the program director decided to keep the retreat, but to do, do it online. And he connected all of us uh, through this program again for, uh, over, over the course of two weeks. And once again, it's an, another great example of these community initiatives. So they are pretty huge in Canada, I have to say. Um, and it's, it's wonderful because I feel like as an artist, that's where you truly grow because, you know, you're being exposed just like the jams in these beautiful places of vulnerability where you share your craft to your peers. And that's something, you know, it's not it's not an audience like you're not playing to your fans that already love you. You're playing to your peers that are doing the same thing as you. And man, it demands an incredible amount of courage and vulnerability. But that's how like 
we get to the core of the real thing, you know? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, that sounds really, really like a cool experience. I want to stay on your songwriting a, a little bit, though, because um, in your interview, actually, with Tyler, one of the things that really kind of jumped out to me about it um, was the kind of intention that you gave with your music, which is um, bringing back lyricism specifically about, this is your direct quote, the everyday woman. Um, yeah. I thought that was a really cool, cool kind of way to clarify what you're trying to do. Um, so could you give Thank us maybe you. a little more clarity of, of how you how you want to do that specifically and maybe give an example from um, Grounding Place Volume 1 where you did it? Totally. Like in my lyric approach? Yes. Yeah, totally. So my, my creative process, once again, just like my connections with my musicians is super organic and intuitive. So I'll always it, it will always start with music. Whenever I live an experience in my life, whether it's a you know, anything that triggers an emotion, whether it's joy or sadness, frustration or excitement, whatever, or that, that, that triggers just reflection. Whenever I'm triggered by my environment, I'll feel things and right away I hear sounds. So like I'll hear the key of my future songs that is about to be shaped. I, I feel the groove. And then that's, that's why I always have my voice, me my, my iPhone, sorry, for my voice memo app. And uh, at least I lock the sound like scape of the song because it's already, that, that's what comes inherently in me whenever I live an experience. But then I take the time once I'm home uh, to, to journal the state of mind that I was at during this state and, and really be honest with what I was feeling. And, and I'm just, it's like, I'm just, just doing a straight up journaling process, like personal diary. And then I'll just shave the song around that because that's how I know that there was a story that I wanted to tell that just came like the, the story guided me. It's not like I was like, let me write a song about women. No, like <laughs> I remember one day I was in school uh, where I'm at right now because I'm teaching now here. And I, I was going through so many things. It was an, an insane semester. I was gigging so much outside and I was like, okay, I can finally see like, what my mother and my aunts and my grandmother is like what they were all about it's just like this crazy multitasking uh, that they would never fully reveal because they would always show up in the most gracious way for their community like sacrifice a bunch of stuff and by just stepping into that new rea reality of mine i wanted to like pay tribute to these power queens that you know show up no matter what and that's why i made it a point to like this song to be about the everyday woman, not just the ones that we see on billboards or whatever, like our, our women at home that are like just, you know, true bosses. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a follow-up question for that and I forgot what it was. <laughs> I'll come back. <laughs> so in your interview with Tyler, you mentioned being inspired by a Moroccan healing ritual that ties together music and the spirit. Um, can you yep. describe that ritual a bit? Yeah, so it's called Gnawa, which is, um, yeah, it's, it's a specific spiritual ritual in Morocco that has also declined itself into a musical genre that is inspired from uh, sub-Saharan countries. So that's why a lot of music from Mali, from Senegal is so similar to this part of southern Morocco. And um I don't know if there's some ancestral stories there, but that music just speaks to me. Um, like we don't, my, my grandfather was an orphan, so we never, we weren't, we never really were able to retrace his origins. Uh, we know that he's part of the indigenous community in Morocco, but maybe there's some stuff that traced back to this, to these tribes. 
but yeah that that genre which also is in a way the ancestor of blues speaks to me so much on a musical level really in a visceral way like when I first discovered this in high school through a trip that I did in that city uh, called Esauira which is the cradle of that genre I uh, something like my body was just screaming loud and clear like that's what I'm all about <laughs> like that's part of like one of the foundations of my sound and I guess that's why when I came here in Montreal I connected so much with soul R&B and jazz which really have the same roots so yeah so what do you think are healing qualities in music and you know that can be the sound the content mm -hmm. the feeling but you know what what are the healing qualities that you try to bring into your music I love this question. Um, <laughs> many. And it's funny because I was reflecting on that yesterday. So, um, well, for sure, there is, there's always for me, the rhythm that taps into something like into our subconscious when we feel, and that's what Gnawa is all about. It's like through the percussions that are called a bit similar to Kumbia music, which is why it's so fascinating to see how music travels. Uh, there's like, you know, through through rhythm, which is really like the heartbeat, there's, we're grounded into this, you know, this sort of hypnosis that kind of puts us in meditation. And I guess it's just the definition of dance. So I think through this, you know, earthy element of music with the rhythm, that's why I connect so much with the drums. Naturally, there's like a healing aspect because we transfer energies. We're no longer so much here, but we are more there in the body and we're just like moving you know and that that's just a trance so and being in trance heals because we we process a lot of stuff that that's way faster than if we were thinking yeah. so there's for me there's that part that is like huge that you know we should do a lot more often like every day we should dance every day it's <laughs> <laughs> great but advice then, yeah, it's like dance, dance but then there's also the lyrical aspect uh, and that's where I try to really be as honest as possible with my creative process through the lyrics. When I said that whenever I live an experience, I, yes, there's a music that comes right away and it's easy to get carried in that as a composer. But then I'm really making a point once I'm back home, because usually these ideas, I have them when I'm out, outside. But I really make it a point to go back home and to journal what I was feeling, because I feel that. And that's the hardest part. I feel that when we are really open about what we experienced that, that triggered this emotion or that emotion, we not only do the self-healing, but, but we also have the potential power to help others by simply bringing this, vulner this vulnerability forefront and inviting someone to do the same. So I feel like that's, that's a mission from, like as an artist. To, to introspect as much as possible and to be real with your story, to invite everyone to like to be to be real with theirs, and then it's up to them to express it or not. But I feel that this this adventure within is is a huge component of healing. Dope. So I I heard you say before when you moved to Montreal, you got really connected to like jazz, soul, and R and B. And I know that you're a big D'Angelo fan, so I have a sort yeah. of like fun what if question for you. Um, okay. I don't know if you saw his verses, his like D'Angelo and Friends verses, but her, this singer, songwriter, her got up and sang a duet with him of the Nothing Even Matters song that you, that before featured Lauren Hill and then sang Lauren Hill's part. So my question I for you is, 
if you could in real life do a duet on stage with D'Angelo, what song of his would you pick to do a duet of? Oh my God. That's it. That's a big one. <laughs> There's so many. Yeah. Uh, mm. Cause it's wow. like what's your favorite versus which one do you think you could like really finesse singing wise? That's it. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. Cause singing D'Angelo is not easy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you really summarize it so well. It's like which one you would love to do and which one you would actually nail. Mm. Like I kind of like right away, I kind of want to say real love is the one that I would love to do, but I don't know if I'll pull it through the <laughs> D'Angelo way, man. <laughs> yeah. We've all heard you. So we, I, I mean, I fully confirmed that you can definitely pull it off. You can finesse it in your own kind of cool way too. I think. Yeah. I, I think that would be the one. I mean, that 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 question is tough because there's so many, but that one just hits home. Like when you call the name with so much soul, yeah. Industry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> sure. We'll do a central sauce edition and send it to him. <laughs> Great. Um, you speak a lot on travel being a very essential part of your existence, and for many, this pandemic has really taken away that ability to you know to travel and to see things and find new experiences. So in coming out of this pandemic, if you could take a month-long trip anywhere in the world and each of the four weeks were in a different place, what would they be? So like, give us your, your four-week itinerary. Oh, man, I love that question. Okay, so, um, okay, uh, one week in Morocco, for sure, to go back home, because I have, there's so many things I want to reconnect musically with the southern part of Morocco. One week in Senegal, in Dakar where I would want to study with some of the greatest percussion masters. One week in Argentina, that has been a dream place of mine for such a long time. And then the fourth week, I kind of want to say another country in Latin America and it would probably have to be Mexico. Yeah, it would be Mexico. Cause once again, that has been on my radar for a long time. So yeah, man, that sounds awesome. Morocco, like, Senegal, Argentina, Mexico. Let's do it. <laughs> you can sort of tell how well-traveled you are by just like how non-generic your answers are. Like <laughs> if, most of the time, if you ask someone like who doesn't travel a bunch, like if you go anywhere, they're going to say yeah. like Greece or Italy or, you know, it's going to be something <laughs> Paris. But you, you can yeah. tell you've traveled a lot because you have very like specific tastes and you know what you want to yeah. see and experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. I yeah. Thank you. It's funny that I feel like all of your choices center around like musical experiences in the different places. It's funny because I feel like if I'm thinking about traveling, it's just like, where has the food that I want to eat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another criteria. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, I remember my question from earlier too. What uh, What do you study? Do you study music? So I studied music. So I studied science before studying music, environmental science. And then I went to jazz school and uh, I finished a year and a half ago. And now I'm back in the same building where I studied jazz because I teach vocal uh, vocal lessons now. That's yeah. awesome. Mm, yes. So it was really fun talking to you, Nora, and we're excited for um, everyone to hear your really amazing set that you recorded for us. Um, Thank we appreciate you. you taking the time to chat with us. And, uh, of course. Yeah. This was so fun. No, thank you so much, guys. Great questions. Great hang. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for your time.
So we are here with Sheffield-based MC, performer and former Poet Laureate of Sheffield, Otis Mensah. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a blessed day. We've had some sunshine here. Um, so I've been soaking up the rays, the, the, the tiny little remnants of the rays that I can get. <laughs> so I feel like I need it. I've been uh, getting some work done today. So another day in the life of, of 2021, uh, the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, you, you take what you can get, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, cool. So uh, listeners who stick with Central Source and read the stuff know that we've had a long conversation a few months ago and like at the core of that conversation was very much a fight against structure and SourceFest fits in perfectly with that because the taglines literally break out the algorithm you know um, fight against the label machines that perpetuates specific artists while leaving many in the dust so with you coming on to perform for us, were those ideals in mind or was it more of a natural marriage between the two? Uh, yeah, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me a part of the a part of Source Fest. It's a blessing to be a part of it. I think, um, I think for me, so, a, a lot of that sort of philosophy is, is sort of interwoven in my, in my approach to live music, period. You know, It's like I'm, I'm definitely going into... Um, I'm going into my live performance with the preconceived idea and the preconceived notion that uh, for me, I, I definitely want to be breaking um, the form and the structure of my predecessor. Not to say that my predecessor didn't create, create incredible strong, uh, 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 form and structure, but as, a, as an artist, for me, I really want to see how I, can, how I can break the norm or break what I've been what I've learned, you know, whether that's looking at sort of like rhythmic patterns when I'm performing, whether that's thinking about uh, how my melody is sitting on the, the instrumental or, you know, whether it means integrating spoken words uh, to tie two different pieces together. Um, I'm, you know, in a world where, where I have been influenced by so much uh, beautiful hip hop music, beautiful jazz music, um, it's always a challenge for me to try and find original things to do um so I'm, I'm always entering a live show with that mindset you know hmm. and i'm curious about your song selection for the set as well so like without giving too much away uh what was the thought process behind highlighting those specific tracks yeah sure i mean i think those tracks naturally uh naturally lend themselves to to a live performance environment and of course uh a lot of the Otis mentor exists so um, well, I say of course, but obviously, if you've not heard it, you don't know. But <laughs> maybe, maybe you'll know if you hear this podcast and check it out. Um, a lot of the Otis Mentor exists stuff um, definitely works within the confines of claustrophobia. Definitely works within the confines of uh, when I say confines, maybe um, within the realms of claustrophobia, within within the realms of frantic for or anxious for. You know, so I think. When we're looking at the, the current state of like where we are in the pandemic, when we're looking at a, a life, lifestyle routine where, you know, my social geography is so limited. It's the park, the local supermarket, home, the park, the local supermarket, home. There's a, there's a natural need for, for sort of restlessness and a natural need for, uh, for being frantic. 
and those songs just lead themselves, uh, lend themselves to that that sort of mindset because that's the kind of uh, environment that they were born from. You know, mm. so in lockdown, in the bedroom, uh, by my usual setting, it just feels natural to perform the songs that I, I, I that were born from that space. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um... Yeah, so like your your set is kind of unique in that sense, I think, because there's this control to, I guess, the chaos that you, uh, the franticism, if that's the word, you know. And I was wondering if um, choosing to stay in Sheffield, as like American listeners might not have heard of it, it's not one of the biggest cities in England, but has she has choosing to stay there helped you with that, I guess, stability and space to create the way you you like. This is a great question, and and it's uh, strangely a question that's like looming in my mind constantly, uh, especially mm. this year. So you know, I think me and you, Ryan, we had a we had a conversation a little bit about like uh, home and and space and and yeah. like creative environment. I think for me, it's very important that I keep at the forefront of my mind that I I am desperately in search of shaking up my creative environment i'm desperately in search of a form of change um and i think i think for me that has to at some point come in the form of me changing my city perhaps possibly changing my country uh perhaps you know exposing myself to a creative community that i've not yet had exposure to not to say that the community here in Sheffield hasn't fed me so much because it has and it's, it's rejuvenated me so many times but uh i'm definitely in need of that so i would say that my a uh, choice to stay at this moment in time is out of necessity, out of fear, and out of the need for security, mm. um, which are all three things that I hope to, to to break through once once the world starts looking a little uh, a little more motionful. You know, <laughs> yeah. Berlin's the move. Berlin's the move. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely thinking about recalibrating, thinking about trying to just see what what the world gives you when you're in a different space, you know, when you're in a different uh, environment, how that pushes your creativity, you know? Yeah, Ryan is definitely our uh, number one central sauce. Everyone should move to Berlin advocate for sure. Um, hey, I'm, I'm on that too. Yeah. Berlin is my favorite city I've ever been to. Let's go. I'm, I'm currently in the process of applying for citizenship for Berlin, so hopefully it comes through. <laughs> fingers crossed, man. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, as well as you know, being a Berlin advocate, Ryan has very much been been you know quintessential for me in, in in introducing me to more music in the realm of art rap and the term art rap, even as in its existence. Funny enough. Uh, was introduced to me through your music and his kind of like, you know, exploration of it. Um, but the thing that strikes me about your music specifically, even within that, I guess, genre or space really, is um, the two-way emotional engagement from you and your listener that you create. Um, do you consciously think about that or does that naturally just happen? That's a really amazing question. And thank you. Uh, I'm glad it comes across like that, you know, uh, because it's definitely hard to to measure that when you're lost in, in, in the creative process or you're lost in trying to pursue a career in the arts, you know, it can seem like the impossible chase that you lose any form of recollection of, you know? Um, 
it's definitely a, a, a conscious uh, a conscious thing, though, you know, I think to an extent it happens on a subconscious level. It's a conscious thing because it upholds my artistic justification, period. You know, the, this idea of um, wanting to engage in meaningful uh, emotional discourse or wanting to shake up the emotional norm, whether that's around political conversations or uh, whether that's me tackling my own personal conversation then, and then seeing how the two converse with each other in the external realm of our society, you know? So that's how it happens on a conscious level. Though I think it very much happens subconsciously when I'm releasing music, when I'm, when I'm uh, writing first songs, you know? It somehow just uh, finds itself interwoven in the thread because I guess that's why I'm doing it in the first place, you know? Um, but no, I really appreciate that because like I said, it's, it's very easy to get lost in, lost in the thought. <laughs> uh, you just gave us a really good quotable for our sauce <laughs> so thank you for that yeah exactly <laughs> so you talk a lot uh, talked a lot just now about the conscious and the uh subconscious um but something else that really strikes me about your music is um how much you dive specifically into the abstract um so i was wondering what type of fulfillment that gives you artistically when you take that route that's a really great question. I think, uh, I think for me, um, it, it's perhaps linked to the kind of art and the kind of music that I consume. You know, and again, uh, in in our conversations uh, that, that's available on Central Source for anyone listening, me and Ryan sort of delve into that, delve into artistic influence. But yeah, I think me having a sort of eternal interest in the avant-garde or the abstract uh, really influences me on, on so many levels. I, I think I really like the idea of going deeper and deeper into uh, the construction. You know, I really like the idea of, of um, things, uh, things having a true emotional impact on you without them always having a logical impact on you. I think in this world, uh, within our society, maneuvering through society, trying to function in society. Everyone tells you something has to have a logical function. You know, it needs to make logical sense, and there needs to be a method, and that's how you that's how you go about your life, that's how you build a life. I think perhaps, though logic has a place in creativity, I think for me that place becomes smaller and smaller. And, and, and as as we spoke about in the previous question, uh, the space of emotional impact becomes wider. Which then means that uh, going deeper into an abstract idea acts as a better vehicle to uh, the wider emotional connection. You know, me being able to talk about, let's say, uh, the concept of being lost in the desert for 40 years um, allows me to better explore the emotional desperation I'm in or the emotional barrenness that I'm in rather than me just saying, um, I'm sick and tired of lockdown. You know, so for me, and it's, it's way more interesting. And, and, and for me, it, it, it plays into the art of, of coding, you know, not, not saying something uh, explicit, but being encrypted with it. And um, to me, I, th I feel like at, at some core level, that, that's what art, that, what, that is what art is about, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so I've got one of my favorite or my two favorite songs from the Otis Mensa Exist series are No Record Store Day and Internet Cafe. So first of all, well, no record store day hit me so well because like I'm a big vinyl collector. Like I love record store day. 
And how did you sort of like single in on that moment as sort of like a defining moment of the anxiety of the pandemic and lockdown? Uh, that's also an amazing question. Um, I'm a massive, like yourself, I'm a massive uh, fan of vinyl, fan of the, physio- the physical uh, trope or the physical um, tangible essence of a thing, you know, of, of, of the passions that we, that we engage with, uh, engage in. So for me, vinyl really acts to an extent as an artifact. You know, when I would get booked for a show somewhere, I would try and buy either the vinyl of the artist I was supporting or, you know, go to the record store before uh, and take something home, something for me to look at and be like, that that somehow acts as a, as a vehicle for the memory, somehow acts as a, as a, a conductor of memory and emotion. Um, so for me, when, when Record Store Day was cancelled, it was like me thinking about that metaphorically. Well, not only is Record Store Day cancelled and, oh, that's sad because it means I can't go to the record store. Yes, I can't engage socially with a, with a thing that, that, that I like to engage with, but also maybe means the demise of my emotional archiving or, you know, uh, my emotional memory collecting, you know? So thinking about no record store day being the end to a journey um which in instead and, and, and a lot of that journey being helpful distraction you know when i'm doing shows there is a helpful distraction in that it means that my my eternal my internal sort of uh turbulence is silenced a little bit though when no record store day ends when the live shows and it all of a sudden becomes very quiet here and uh, in my head, and then becomes a lot louder, <laughs> and that's and that's the stuff that it's hard to deal with. So, no record store day is the direct product, lyrically and, and vocally, of of that turbulence building up again. You know. Do you have a particular gem of your record collection, or a particular gem from your record store day collecting? Uh huh. That's a great. So uh, that's a great question. So I think. Um, I've got so many gems. I mean, directly linking to Record Store Day, I think I've actually, I, I've spent a lot of my Record Store Day browsing, but I'm not sure how much I ever bought from Record Store Day. I do realize, I do remember though, probably the one of the first records I ever bought was um, was Out, Outcast's first album, uh, uh, Southern Funky Cadillac okay, uh, Playlist yeah. Music. Oh, I'm saying it in the wrong way, wrong, yeah. wrong way around. But that was the first <laughs> record I bought, and it records I brought from uh, Record Store Day, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. So that's definitely a gem in the collection. Though, I think a lot of my a lot of my new gems uh, have been what I've been uh, buying online through uh, through lockdown. You know, I happened to find myself a copy of Gene Dawson's uh, Bad Sport, an album that's, that's just been having a massive impact on me through lockdown. And then more recently, uh, albums by uh, Barty's uh, Strange um, and his album Live Forever. Um, okay, Kai is both, or you know, uh, Haley Hendrix. I need to start a garden. Uh, my my quote unquote no genre um, shelf on, on my record stand is growing, and and that seems to be the shelf that I'm I'm, I'm ever so gravitating towards. You know. <laughs> Right. And so you have, uh, for the listeners who don't know, Otis Mensa also has a poetry book. Um, I'm blanking on the name of it right now. Can you fill me in on the name of the poetry book? Safe yeah, metamorphosis. sure. So I do. And it's, uh, it's called uh, Safe Metamorphosis. 
Um, and it was published in the heart of lockdown, uh, June 15, 2020, by Prototype Publishing. And um, yeah, it's been it's been a journey sort of publishing that that is a new sort of written venture, you know. Yeah, and I actually I've ordered a copy and I haven't it's uh, I haven't got it yet, but I'm definitely going to get to you after I have a chance to read it. I'm excited for it. But thank you. If you could pick one poet who should become a rapper and one rapper who should write a book of poetry, who would they be? Uh -huh. Oof, that is a great question. I mean, I guess I have to I have to create a disclaimer that I that I do believe all my favorite MCs are already poets. Um, but I will I will give you an answer to the latter half of the question: which which rapper should release a, a written book of poetry, uh, not not an album of poetry, but a written book of poetry? That is a that is a fantastic question. Um, you know, I, I would love to see um, I would love to see an open mic eagle uh, write a book of po poetry and just see how his irony, uh, you know, and his wittiness. Um, and whimsicalness, like uh, appears in written written word, written word. You know, I really believe that you could probably get lost uh, in his stories. You know, when, when in a written form. I would also, I guess, I'd love to see uh, an Aesop Rock uh, release a release a written book of poetry. That would be very interesting to see. Um, Blackfoot, of course. Blackfoot, oh my lord. Imagine if I could, we could get a book from Blackfoot. I don't know if there is a book, book from Blackfoot, but uh, if we could have a collection of poems by Blackfoot, that would be mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah. I could sit and talk vinyl with you all day, but not going to hold you for yeah, that. Okay. So. <laughs> Let's do another episode uh, on, on favorite records. That would be great. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I've definitely found through these little blurbs, like how much fun these short interviews are. And every single one, we always had the idea. We were like, oh, we'll just get in and out in 10 minutes. And every single time yeah. it's like, I could, we could sit here for a whole podcast episode with each individual person. It would be great. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you guys so much. I, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate all your support. And it's, um, yeah, it's great to be a part of the, of the, the digital festival, you know, so. Uh, much love to you guys and the incredible work you're doing, you know? Thank you for your video, yeah, man. It's, you, you, you give us a really awesome set, so we're really excited to present it to people. Uh, yeah, I can't wait. So we're here with London-based singer Story. His latest album, Interlude 19, is available on streaming everywhere. Story, how are you doing today? I'm awesome. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm great. Uh, so, let's jump in then. So, the funny thing about you being part of the festival is that you kind of coined the tagline for our festival when talking about our discovery content. So, the tagline is, break out the algorithm. And you coined okay. that, and we took that. So thank you. <laughs> uh, so why do you think like us as listeners benefit from, I guess, breaking out the algorithm, breaking out the set things that the industry feeds us? Um, I just think that 
when we're feeding into the algorithms, generally we're making very generic things, right? It ends up being a lot of the same. And what is art? Art is creativity. So you can't really be that creative if you're always working in a certain kind of framework. Um, it's not to say that, you know, art doesn't have structure, but like learning the structure and then learning how to break away from it, I think is really important. So, yeah. Yeah. You gotta learn the rules to break the rules. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and like as an indie artist, like when so much of your listenership is based on people finding you through like Spotify playlists that are built, built on algorithms and stuff, stuff like that, uh, how damaging is that? And do you feel like, um, do you feel like there's a way to change how the industry is kind of rigged towards bigger artists? I'm not really sure what the answer is. Um, I think that, you know, there needs to be some sort of system in play for musicians. You know, there isn't really a structure. And right now, you know, just like the radio stations used to be like pay to play and the labels would just pay them and nobody else could get on the radio. It's kind of similar in, in the Spotify sense, like, a lot of these playlists are curated and the labels have access. Like I heard that if you are on a label, for instance, you when you release a song, it gets on at least three editorial playlists. And that's like a rule. And um, so it's not really completely even algorithmic at that point. And then I also read um, that like the algorithms, for instance, will hear a song and it'll be like a certain chord progression. And because that song was really popular, it might push a song that has that similar pro chord progression, but it's not maybe your best song. So um, we need to like steer clear of these kind of, um, I don't know what you would call them, but like biases or, um, but I don't know how that would happen. Like, I don't know, we, there needs to be some sort of union or some sort of like structure mm -hmm. that, you know, like the same platform that pays you, Spotify is the same platform that is calculating your streams. I think that's kind of ridiculous. So, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I, I feel like it's a little rigged, so. Yeah. Well, I think, go for it, Mickey. Yeah, I just have a follow-up to that actually. So then from, obviously there's a lot that really needs to change from the like, you know, big wig label Spotify perspective, but what, what do you think specifically that artists can do on their own to kind of go against whatever that kind of general algorithm that's set up and kind of create their own algorithm to get towards fans and, you know, garner an audience? Um, I think just like creating really awesome music that you love and remembering that it is about the process. So just enjoying what you do and knowing that there is a listenership for what you do. Um, I also think that as indies, we need to create platforms like you guys have created um, that supports indies. You know, um, I think a lot of us have this mentality of like scarcity. And so we're like, oh, we can't you know, come up with our friends because there's only so much space at the top. But I mean, I think that as indies, if we restructure how um, our business model is, we can all eat. We might not end up being like Beyonce, um, <laughs> but that's fine. You know, we can still have a good, make a good living off being an indie artist if we all support each other and, and create community. And it's so easy to say that because I'll have a conversation like that. And then it still feels like, you know, you're competing with this other person that you were just like no we got to create a community and <laughs> um because it's really built into us 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the best thing to do. Just enjoy the journey and stick together. Oh, definitely. Community is always easier said than done, but also the answer. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, and you can, you know, you mentioned our festival, obviously, which we're so glad that you've decided to be a part of. And we are all wildly big fans of the the set of music that you've sent to us. So just kind of a general without obviously giving too much away. Um, but what what kind of parts of your sound specifically were you trying to highlight in your your set for Sauce Fest? Um, basically just my voice. Um, you know, I don't have the means to like, you know, have my full band or anything like that. So it was definitely super stripped down and, um, and yeah, when I'm performing, it's really about emoting and trying to get the, the, the lyrics and that emotion across so that it takes listeners on a journey and, um, yeah, I really miss live shows so much. Us too. Yeah. <laughs> Us too, for sure. So we had to definitely sneak an album question in here because we're all, you know, definitely serious fans of the music. And that's obviously why this collaboration has happened. Um, so you pull off a really unique concept with a message that takes a critical eye to the uh, to the music industry, specifically on the album. So we've talked about it kind of in your own philosophy, but how did you approach it, you know, sonically and lyrically on the album? Yeah, so Chapter 3, The Come Up, was my debut album, which coincidentally came out three weeks before the pandemic hit. So that was a little bit of, um, you know, wind knocked out of my sails. But um, it was about the a woman trying to leave the sex industry, which she was coerced into in the first place, and get into the music industry only to realize the parallels between the two. And... Um, you know, that's my story. That's what happened to me. And it was devastating. And it has been an uphill climb the whole time. But, um, you know, those songs really came out of, they came out of pain, and they came out of suffering. And then they came out of like, me figuring out that I had to be my own superhero, and that no one was going to save me and that I had to just do it myself. And that's what led me to, you know, writing all the songs, producing all the songs and putting it out myself. Um, would I do it again that way? Probably not. It's really hard to be everything. And I'm not necessarily the best at everything, right? Like I do want to have a team eventually. But um, I think it was an amazing first step to like, claiming my own like independence and autonomy and saying fuck you to the system, essentially. So funny. I would have, I didn't make this, con I, I've listened to the album and I knew that that was what it was about. And, uh, you know, I read the interview you did with Tyler, who's also, you know, part of our, you know, central sauce family, but <laughs> uh, that kind of idea of paralleling the two worlds is actually very exactly what the wire does with they mm -hmm. parallel. Have you seen the wire? Mm -mm. Okay. Well, it would be a cool watch. So, I mean, it's, I'm from Baltimore, so I, I definitely have a connection to it, but it parallels kind of like the street drug trafficking to like the political, to the, the, you know, the press industry, to the, um, you know, people who are running kind of schemes at the docks. And it kind of parallels all those different industries and shows how the kind of hierarchical system is kind of corrupt in the same way. Um, so that's, that's kind of interesting, but, but your, your own solo perspective kind of doing a similar thing that a show like that does is really cool. 
Hmm, that is interesting. I got to watch it. I've heard of it, but I, I've never watched it. Yeah, definitely. So we also wanted to ask, um, because it's, I think this is an interesting story too, is the significance behind your stage name. Sure. So, I mean, I think that everybody has a story and we all have a story to tell. Um, and that all of these stories kind of make a sliver of the truth. Um, they're all kind of perspectives from this pie. And so um, the more that we tell our stories and the more that we, you know, share with the world of ourselves and of our perspective, the closer we can get to kind of realizing this truth. Um, so that's kind of where the name came from. It's a great name. <laughs> Thank you. Story with two, with two R's. Yeah. With two R's, yeah. All right. Our last couple questions we have here are more fun questions for you. First of all is um, what dream collaboration would you like dead or alive? Any artist? I mean, that's so hard, but I would say I have been dreaming about doing a collab with Anderson Pack. Hey. Yes. <laughs> I love him so much. And um, yeah, I feel like I will have made it once I have a collaboration with him. <laughs> he seems like such a fun guy too like even beyond like how amazing the music is just the experience of working with him seems like it would be so much fun yeah, yeah exactly like i don't know i've, I've met some of my idols i won't name names because i don't want to <laughs> ruin it for anyone but like you know they've really disappointed me as people and then i couldn't listen to their music anymore so it's like that's why i think like I don't know if I'd want to do a collab with him because I just want to like keep him as this like perfect, happy human being in my brain. <laughs> Sometimes it's best at a distance, right? Pardon? Sometimes it's best to keep it at a distance just so you can like preserve that, that love. Yeah, have. exactly. I mean, like there's so much happening right now with like cancel culture and, you know, things happening and, 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 you know, stuff coming out about artists from back in the day and people being like, oh, well, we can't consume this anymore. And I mean, is, that's a good question. Like, do we consume stuff from people that are not good people who are not necessarily spreading the best message to push, push culture forward? Um, I think artists have a responsibility to do that. And that's what I'm trying to do with my music is, is you know, changing perspectives and um pushing culture forward but i don't know it's a very interesting thing it's like yeah well i was gonna ask well just because at, at the end of the day as far as like consumption it is a personal choice of like can you actually separate artists from music ver meaning like you know you're gonna list it's your ch choice whether you open up spotify and listen to their stuff so i've, I've talked to so many different people artists and you know non-artists about this but is it possible for you personally to separate artist from person or music from person? Um, if I've, if I have a very negative association with their personality, I can't. Right. Like there's no way I can enjoy the music. I'm just immediately immersed, like thinking about those things and I can't do it. I can't support them. Right. I mean, especially if it's from a personal experience with them, that definitely makes it more difficult, I would assume. Yeah, for sure. If you could have been a fly on the wall for the recording of any album, which album would it be? I feel like that's a thinker. That's when you got to think about. Yeah. Hmm. Honestly, 
I don't know. So I'm just going to throw out my favorite album when I was a kid. And that was Lauren Hill, Miseducation. Oh, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that's a good one. That's just a classic album. So I'd love to have seen that recorded. Oh, that actually makes two people in a row that I've interviewed who said that that's their favorite album. Uh, you and Brittany Carter, who I just did that featured interview on. Yeah, but there's wow. a lot of crazy people who collaborated on that album. Oh, yeah. We surrounded with the Fugees and, you know, a bunch of different people who would be crazy to be around to be a fly on the wall. Hi, right, Stewie. Yeah. Thank you so much. Like, this conversation has just been great. Like, it's really short, but I think you said some really profound things about independence as an artist and also collaboration and, like, finding the balance between those things and, I guess, just going at the bigger machine and taking it on. So, yeah, I think as listeners... As people interested in the music industry, I think people will get a lot from this, and people as fans of you will get a lot from this. So, yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Thank you so much for having mm. me. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Please check out all these artists streaming on all the platforms available. Don't forget, you can sign up for SauceFest at saucefest.digital slash register. And we hope we will see you on April 10th. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. We're really excited to present to you these sets that all these amazing artists that you just heard from um, gave to us. Uh, they're really dope, really eclectic. Uh, again, just a quick reminder of the, the time of the festival, April 10th, 8 p.m. GMT, 3 p.m. EST, 12 noon PST. We hope to see you there. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. Just enjoy the show, man. Just enjoy the art, enjoy the music. See you then. This episode of Search of Source featured Ryan Gore, Brandon Hill, and Mikhail Back Essentials Creative Collective. And in order for appearance, Donnie Durag, Fika, Imp, Nora, Tutain, Otis Mansa, and Story. The episode is edited by me, Charlie Taylor, of the Fifth In Podcast Network. Music for the show is fucked up by Barsity. Thanks to Joel Breakers for his use. This has been a Search of Source Fifth In Podcast Network production. Thanks to Barsity, Joel Breakers, Central Source, Fifth Element, and also Source Fest coming next week. It can all be found in the full show notes below. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you next time as we continue our search for source.